411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We are a nonprofit organization, and we are focused on human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. We want to bring awareness, more broad awareness of this problem and the trauma that it causes its victims. We have talked about so many aspects of this issue in our many podcasts. We've had over 20 at this point. Now, we want to continue that, and we also want to bring you in. So as we do our discussions, as you tune in, and as I want to say thank you for doing that, we want you to leave your comments. If you have questions or suggestions on future topics, we are very interested in that. Well, today, we are continuing this, and we are talking about sex trafficking and the law. And I have a really, really special guest that I'm excited about uh, joining me today. This is State Senator Latanya Johnson. Welcome to you. Thank you for having me. Full transparency. Many of you know that I had a career at Fox 6 News in, in Milwaukee, uh, well, for 21 years. But along the way, I started doing stories on sex trafficking and one of the first stories that I did, you were in it. Senator Johnson was a part of that. And you were a newly elected state representative at that time. Yes, I was. And um, thank you for doing that story with me. That really kind of set the the pattern or the, the cycle of me doing more and more of those stories and exploring more about sex trafficking. But one thing that I was um, drawn to you you are a newly elected state legislator, and there are so many issues within the state, but you grabbed onto sex trafficking right away. Why? For me, it all started with Martha Love. Mm -hmm. I went to a conference with Mar Martha, and Martha passed out these... Um, these booklets. And in the booklets, they had terminology, um, phrases that pimps and um, traffickers used um, to communicate. And I remember bringing that booklet home and I laid it on my dining room table. And at the time I was a daycare owner and I was running for office, but my teacher said, Tanya, what's this? And I said, oh, it's a terminology book that they use for human trafficking, but I don't know how serious it is. And she picked up the book and she looked at it. And then she started naming person after person that I knew, that she knew, who had been victims of human trafficking when they were younger. And then her 15-year-old daughter at the time went to Rufus King. And she came out and she named friends from Rufus King that she knew had been involved in human trafficking. Wow. And so it dawned on me that this wasn't something new. This was something that had always existed. Um, I may have not known what the name was or how prevalent it was, but it was definitely a serious issue. And if her daughter 
at the time, just 15 years old, still knew kids who were experiencing it, then it was an issue. And I remember after I got elected and I went to the Capitol and um, at the time, Attorney General J.B. Van Hollen, he mm-hmm. set up appointments with all of the electeds. And my first question to him was about human trafficking. And why were people in Milwaukee treated so differently around human trafficking compared to the rest of the state? And he said that he didn't know, that maybe it was for lack of education, lack of resources, but they knew that it was an issue there. And I thought to myself, this is something that I can do. This is something where there's room for legislation. Um, Martha invited me to a a human trafficking conference. Um, It was a multi-day conference and I could only go one day, but I heard from officers all around the country about how human trafficking was, you know, a part of their fabric, what they were doing to try and combat human Mm -hmm. trafficking. And I remember walking up to one of the prosecutors for um, Wisconsin and I asked her, if you could draft any piece of legislation that would help um, and human trafficking, what would it be? What would it look like? And she said, let me think about it. Um, she took maybe about a week. And after that, she sent over a piece of legislation that she wanted to see, um, changed. And basically that was what's known. We called it as the caregiver law. Okay. And the caregiver law says that, If a child, well, it used to be if a child was trafficked or um, was a part of commercial sex acts, if the perpetrator wasn't a parent, a guardian, a caretaker of the child, then police did not have to report that to Child Protective Services. And once more, Child Protective Services didn't have to intervene and do an investigation. Well, she explained that after that law was changed in 2006, they saw the number of cases go up. There wasn't any concrete number for exactly how many human trafficking victims were in the state because no one was keeping that type of data at the time. But she knew that they saw an increase in trafficking victims in Milwaukee. And so we introduced that legislation my first year in the assembly, um, and we introduced it every year after Mm. until 2015. They passed um, the 2015 Act, which was um, basically, I believe it was called um, the Justice of Victims Trafficking Act. And basically that brought Wisconsin into compliance with federal law. And that was one of the laws that was passed. Um, I was really disappointed at the time because even though that had been my bill for multiple years, yeah. I was listed third as a co-author instead of being listed first. Yeah. Um, but the bill was passed as a package and the important thing was that the bill was passed. And the importance of that piece of legislation is because if the Department of Children and Families did not have to get involved, that means services did not become available for those kids. Oh, wow. So if you are dealing with a runaway and Mm -hmm. they're having problems at home, if you return that runaway back home, they're going to run again. So the problem for the state is that they didn't have safe places to put these children without sending them home. 
And so that meant that the government had to get involved and issue a GIPS case, which is juvenile in need of um, protection or services. The difference between a GIPS, where the it's court-ordered, and CHIPS, where it's um, children in need of pro- services or protection, um, is that if it's ordered by DCF, there's no punitive or no penalties involved. If it's court-ordered by a judge, then that means that those children are a part of the system. They automatically go into juvenile detention. And so you don't want to send a human trafficking victim to juvenile detention because you're sending the wrong message. And even though that bill was passed in 2015, we still see situations now today where it's at the discretion of the prosecuting attorney as to whether um, juveniles will be charged with prostitution or not. And for lawmakers like myself and so many other lawmakers in that capital, that's offensive because children legally can't give consent until they're 18. Right. And so to prosecute any child for any type of prostitution or commercial sex acts, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. And then it's left up to the prosecutor. So what, what are they using to determine this kid, prostitute. This kid, no. And I, it it leaves a lot of discrimination um, in terms of sentencing and in terms of what happens to these kids because it's left to a case-by-case basis. And that's unfortunate because any child that's involved in any type of prostitution or commercial sex acts, first of all, if you're under the age of 18, prostitute is not a suitable word. It's human trafficking victim because those children can't legally give consent. But you find so many lawmakers, even still today, uneducated and unaware. They think that, well, some of these kids, that's what they want to do. That's, right. you know, that's what they want to do. So, Prosecutors need the ability to prosecute um, so they can make them cooperate against their pimp. But the reality is, is if you have services in place, those children are going to cooperate anyways. Um, If you give them a safe place to live, if you give them the counseling that they need, the trauma-informed care, they're going to cooperate. It's just that they've been coerced for so many years, basically brainwashed, that it's not as cut and dry as some people think. I mean, no child is born thinking that they want to enter a world of prostitution. And that's the unfortunate piece that even though times are evolving, some of the mentalities of some of our elected officials haven't reached that point yet. I was just wondering about that. From the time that you started in, um, what, 2012? 2012. As, as a state rep. And, you know, getting into this, putting out the bills, to now looking at your colleagues, have they evolved and how much? And is there still a, a lot to be done? There's still a lot to be done. For example, also, when I first entered um, as, a, as a state representative, I introduced a bill called Safe Harbor. Mm-hmm. Basically, what the Safe Harbor bill means is that 
There is blanket immunity for human trafficking victims under the age of 18. You cannot be prosecuted for prostitution, for any type of commercial sex acts. Um, I introduced that legislation too in 2013 and every year thereafter. The first time we introduced it, we may have had 20, 25 co-sponsors. This year when it was introduced, we had over 75. Mm. So that has made huge momentum in the Capitol. Um, it was to the point that we thought last year was going to be the year or, or this year, basically, um, that it was going to be the year that safe Harbor passed, but 20 minutes before that bill was supposed to be voted on in the Senate, um, there was an amendment added, which said, They didn't want the blanket immunity for human trafficking victims, but they wanted to give the prosecutors the discretion to decide if they wanted to pursue prosecution or not. It passed the Senate, but for all of the human trafficking advocates, that was unacceptable because they wanted a true safe harbor bill. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't brought to the floor of the assembly. So this session that Again, that bill will not pass. And it was all because of some of my colleagues in the Senate. They just don't understand human trafficking. They need more education. And we did everything that we possibly could to get that bill to pass. In terms of um, co-authors on the Republican side, we had Senator Alberta Darling, which is one of the most powerful women in the Senate right. um, because she's chair of joint finance. We had Representative um, Steinecke, who is also one of the most powerful people in the state assembly, but still it wasn't enough to make sure that the bill passed through both houses unscathed. And and it's unfortunate. Senator Darling said on the floor that we needed more education around human trafficking. And I thought that that was very big of her to stand up and say that because she gets it. But there's nothing that can be done in that state capitol that you can do by yourself. Right. You have to have buy-in. So Will it be reintroduced? It will be reintroduced, but not until next session after this election cycle, which, you know, is another year that these victims have to go without that protection. And the importance of catching these victims, especially before they turn 17 in the state of Wisconsin, is because at the age of 17, you're prosecuted as an adult. That's no longer your juvenile record. So, Even if they prosecute these individuals at the age of 17 as adults and then give them some type of of expungement, Mm -hmm. the problem with that is that under Wisconsin state law, even with your case expunged, if asked, have you been convicted of a felony, you still have to legally say yes. Mm -hmm. And for so many of these women, that prevents them from getting that job interview. It prevents them from qualifying for low-income housing and so many other things that they would need to be able to reach economic self-sufficiency and to be able to support their families. And that's something that we're fighting really, really hard to change, but it's just taken some time. I'm just shaking my head. What is the point of a spongement if you still have to claim it? 
Exactly. Exactly. Which is where ban the box comes in, because then those questions will no longer be allowed to be asked. Wow. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about and, you know, bills that are pending or legislation that you're thinking about. We're going to pick your brain. (laughs) So be sure and stay with us. Uh, Again, if you have comments, send them our way. But we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. What do you think of when you hear intercourse for money? What do you think of when you hear exploitation of your body? What pops in your mind when you hear young boys and girls being sold for sex? Do you think of sex trafficking? You should. What movie do you see when you think of someone being kidnapped to become a product? Oh, come on now. We all know what we think of. It's that film of that father who had to go all the way overseas to rescue his daughter. But wait, that's not just happening overseas. Try here, the United States of America. Try here, the state of Wisconsin. Try here, the city of Milwaukee. Unknown to many, the Harvard School of Pimps in their holy training ground. Young girls and boys are being solicited at an average age of 13 years old. Didn't know that, did you? Research and learn the signs of sex trafficking because you just might not know when your child's newest lover is their soon-to-be pimp. For more information, visit the411live.org. And welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We are continuing our discussion with State Senator LaTanya Johnson. We ended, we were talking about espungement and how, you know, at 17, you know, you're. it says it's a expunged, but when you're going to... People looking for you. I mean, you have to claim it. Exactly. So under Wisconsin law, even if a case is expunged, if asked on a job application or any type of application, have you ever been convicted of a crime? By law, you still have to check yes. The only thing that expungement technically does is remove the offense off of CCAP. So it's not easily found, but it doesn't give you immunity from the crime. And so for so many of those women, it prevents them from, you know, qualifying for low-income housing. Um, Once you say, yes, you've been convicted of a crime and you explain, sometimes that prevents you from getting that job interview. And so... And expungement isn't eligible for everybody. I believe under state law, you have to be under a certain age, I believe, which is either 24 or 22. Um, And it has to be given at the time of sentencing. So even if you've been convicted of a crime, you can't go back and qualify for expungement. Um, Representative Evan Gokey introduced a bill that would basically rid that. Okay. Um, it would extend the age of which you're eligible for um, expungement, but that bill didn't pass this session. Mm. Mm. I wonder, will he re- reintroduce that one? I'm sure he will. Um, he's reintroduced it for about two terms now. And 
each time he gets more and more support, um, but it just hasn't, it hasn't gone through. Wow. That's safe harbor, Bill. Um, uh, will somebody circle back around and talk to the people who put those amendments, that, that amendment on there and educate them? We will. So <laughs> we're planning to next session have a symposium around human trafficking where we will invite victims and advocates to the Capitol to educate some of the lawmakers. And hopefully that will help make a difference. We were able to pass other legislation in lieu of that. For example, we passed the trucker bill, um, which is um that's a good Act one. 27. That's a good one. It is. I'm really, really excited about that. And that bill also took two terms of us introducing it before it uh. finally passed. And the reason that that bill is so important is because in Wisconsin alone, we have over 312,000 CDL holders. Basically, um, the bill states that if you are applying for a CDL license and you take CDL um driver's ed classes, Mm -hmm. that there has to be a component of human trafficking in those classes. And the reason that that's so important is because we know the most common area for women to be trafficked is at um, truck stops, restaurants, rest areas. And by educating those individuals, it gives us extra eyes on the road. It also educates them about the harm that human trafficking causes to everyone, but it also gives them the tools that they need to look for those suspicious cases and to be able to report that. Um, As a matter of fact, we got a shout out for the bill from the governor during his State of the State address um, because that bill is just that important. Very, very cool. Okay, so that one passed. Yes. And it's it's enacted, so that's a good thing. And we also testified on, I believe it was Thursday, on a bill, too, that um, hasn't passed yet. Hopefully it'll it'll get to the floor at some point. But um, it's Senate Bill 211, and basically what it is, it's a self-defense bill for human trafficking. We've all heard of Crystal Geyser Mm -hmm. and Centoya Brown, and the fact that they killed their traffickers, um, men who had molested them for years as underage girls, and eventually both of them ended up killing their trafficker. Basically, what the self-defense bill says is that trafficking victims have the right to use self-defense, any self-defense necessary to remove themselves from their trafficker or to rid themselves from that situation. Now, I don't know if this bill is going to pass I kind of lean toward the belief that it won't because it's so much more controversial than the safe harbor. I could see that. Yes. But the reality is if that bill would have been in place when, um, crystal, um, when, when crystal Kaiser committed her crime, she wouldn't be in jail right now facing time because, People still see human trafficking not necessarily as a collective problem, but as an individual isolated problem. And that's that's the problem in itself, is that we treat the victims differently depending on the case, where it happens, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't. I can see that being controversial because someone will say, um, 
She's just saying that she was trafficked to get out of that, right. you know, that sentence or that punishment right. for killing right. that person. So I can I can see yeah. where that that would be a, a tough sell. But, you know, the fact that they were willing to give it a hearing yeah. shows that, you know, we're on our way, that mm-hmm. people are recognizing that there are problems. And I think, too, the more electeds realize that this is not just a problem in Milwaukee or in Madison, um, <clears throat> but there have been cases in all 72 counties. Right. So this is a, a issue for everybody everywhere. I think once people start to realize that, then we'll start to see, I don't know, we'll start to see more of a push to get things done. Right. You were saying that um, kind of on that re-education track that you're going on with your colleagues and there will be maybe hearings or a symposium where they will face-to-face hear from a victim or several victims or survivors. So when I first got to the Capitol, my first term as a state rep, one of the things that I did was I brought some human trafficking survivors to the Capitol um, during the hearing. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but sometimes when people think of human trafficking, they automatically think African-American. So I brought one African-American and I brought one um, individual that was mixed race, but the other two were Caucasian. And when they sat down at the table and they started to tell their story, there was not a dry eye in that room. And I remember sitting next to one of the lobbyists, uh, to a lobbyist who was waiting to testify on another bill. And he was like, this is awesome. He was like, I I didn't know that this existed. He said, this is really, really good. Doing that, unfortunately, we didn't have Wisconsin Eye on in that hearing room at the time. And the chair, which was Leah Vukmir at the time, said that she really, really wished that Wisconsin Eye would have been there because the information and that Wisconsin was shared. Wisconsin Eye, that's a recording. Right. It's a recording okay. of committees, but they take turns on which committees they cover. Mm-hmm. And that spe- specific committee wasn't being covered at the time. But the information that was said there, the questions that were asked, the information that was given was so vital in helping those electeds understand why the bills were necessary. Um, One of the victims there, she was trafficked, I believe, in the 70s or the 80s. Another victim was trafficked in the 90s. Even though there was that that gap in Mm -hmm. between the times that they were trafficked, their stories were the same. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. And so just getting the um, elected officials around that table to see that, but also to see women that could be their nieces, their daughters, played a crucial role because then they understood that this is not just a city issue. This is not just an African-American issue, but this issue is real and it affects everybody. Yeah. I've told this story before um, when I was at um, working at the television station and a fellow reporter went to cover, it was in a suburb, went to cover this event and it was dealing with sex trafficking and it was a Caucasian 
audience. And she said, and the reporter was Caucasian as well, but she said, Beverly, they said, you know, one of the the main speakers said, um, sex trafficking is a problem. It's now affecting us. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, the reporter was like, us? What does that mean? But I knew what that meant. She knew what it meant. It's like, it's, it, there's the buy-in when it affects somebody that looks like you. Right. So the important thing to know, and that shouldn't be, it should be a problem whether it, whoever it affects. Um, But it's so important for people to know if they have that perspective that, okay, well, it is affecting people you know or people who look like you. And that kind of brings in that buy-in. They have had rings at Homestead in Mequon, Oak Creek High School. Um, When my daughter went to Pius, I was asked to come in and speak to a class. Um, When I walked in, I was met by the teacher and two guidance counselors. And at first I thought that was kind of strange, but I didn't know what the protocol was. I thought maybe when they brought in a speaker, they automatically brought in the guidance counselors. Um, It was two classes combined, and I spoke about human trafficking. I even brought that terminology book that um, Martha Love had given me. And after it was over, I had maybe between 12 and 15 kids that stayed back. And those kids were either affected by human trafficking, either because of a relative or a family member or them themselves had had some encounter with human trafficking. And then I realized that those guidance counselors weren't there, you know, because of protocol. They were there because of triggers. And the reason that I had been asked to come and speak is because that had been a problem at that high school as well. You know, back in the day when I went to high school, if a young lady or or somebody was involved in human trafficking, they automatically dropped out. They didn't come back. But now what we're seeing is that those kids are left in those schools because it's a bigger breeding ground, Mm. access to more kids. And so um, just the whole dynamics have changed, which probably explained why my teacher's 15-year-old knew kids at her school that were involved. Mm. And so, you know, you have a lot of those issues surrounding human trafficking. And even for some of the the victims that I've talked to, you know, they live a life of human trafficking, which is a life of hell. And a lot of them have children. And, but when you talk to them, they say sometimes that when things get really hard, they resort back to what they know. If they can't pay their rent, they're going to find a way to pay their rent. They're going to find a way to feed their babies. But what we've also found out or what I've also found out from doing this work is that there is a whole sector of children that are being born for human trafficking that people don't know anything about. I remember um, getting a phone call from a group home that had a 12-year-old little boy dropped off at their door. Now, protocol from the state is um, when a child comes to a group home, they're sent with a folder. It has information about that child's history. Right. This child 
was dropped off via van service, no folder. And so when the director said, wait a minute, where's his, where's his folder? Where's his information? A van driver was like, I'm just a van driver. So they brought him in, in that night. They put him in a room by himself, um, you know, for the night, which is standard protocol. You separate the kids. But he said he was scared and he didn't want to sleep by himself. So they put him in a room with other kids. Well, that night he was sexually assaulted in the group home. And um, the little boy didn't tell the staff that he was sexually assaulted. One of the other kids did. So protocol is automatically that you notify the state. Um, but they decided to do their own investigation. Um, by asking other kids, finding out more information from this little boy. And it took a series of days before it was finally reported. I think maybe three days. But in the process, this little boy would go AWOL. Mm. So when you're in a group home, there's no locked doors. You can leave. The only thing that they can do is report the fact that you're leaving. He would leave and the director said that they would notice he would come back with things like fake hair, nails, things that other kids wouldn't necessarily buy because they wouldn't have the money to do it. But he was going AWOL to turn tricks. He was a 12-year-old little boy. So on the third day before they reported the incident, he said, I haven't got my medicine. And the lady was like, what medicine? My medicine, I have AIDS. He thought he had AIDS. So they contact the state and said, look, he wasn't sent with any information. He wasn't sent with his medication. They found out that he didn't have AIDS, but at the time they were giving him medication to prevent him from contracting AIDS, oh. which I guess is maybe, you know, like the prep. Yeah. Um, because of his behavior. But this was a little boy that had lived a life of human trafficking. And so at the age of 12, those tendencies were still there. But it also shows how the state failed him, even though he was in their custody. First of all, they sent him to a group home that may have not been the best suited for his situation, no paperwork, and he's court ordered to take medication and they don't even send it. So even sometimes when the state gets involved, we don't necessarily do what we're supposed to do. Right. But it just goes to the heart of how serious these incidences are. Wow. That's that's a heartbreaking story. Yeah. It really is. One of the one of the things that one of the human trafficking victims said that came to the Capitol that has always stuck with me to this day. She said, I know my grandmother's story. I know my mom's story. And I know my story. So one of the things that she said was that her earliest remembrance was she had to be around maybe two, three years old. She remembered that her mom had an addiction. So her mom would pimp her out to these pedophiles. Even when she was little, she can remember people touching her inappropriately. I think she said when she finally got 10 years old, her mom just left. And she left her with strangers. And the people weren't, you know, they didn't abuse her sexually, but they did abuse her physically. Mm -hmm. And by the time she was 16, she was out. And that's when she was brought into the world of trafficking. And she was picked up by a pimp. 
But just to hear those three generations of stories yes, and, and how her grandmother was a prostitute, her mom was a prostitute, and that was the lifestyle that she was set up for. And she said the one thing that finally made her say enough was enough and she ran away was that she was pregnant and she had a baby and her pimp said the baby had to go. And she said that she would never, never give away her baby because that's what had been done to her. And that was when she knew she had to do something to get to get out. Wow. Wow. And I know that you hear stories, story after story after story like that. Senator Johnson, thank you for what you do. I am so glad that you're in Madison, and I am so glad that you care. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. And you'll have to come back. You'll have to come back. I would love to. Give us an update. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, you have just been looking at another episode of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Thank you for joining us. Remember that we are a nonprofit. Um, You can go to the 411live.org website and contribute. Help us to continue what we're doing. Help us to expand the conversation. You can find uh, other episodes on the website. You can also go to Facebook, Twitter. We're on iHeartRadio Podcast. You can find us a little bit of everywhere. So just look for us. Look for those episodes. And join us again for another episode of the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. I'm Beverly Taylor.